This episode contains discussion of drug traffic and consumption, as well as of alcohol. It also involves discussion of class and caste, including of those in unliberated communities. I'm Ludo, and I'll be playing the Emerald Lands as well as all its wonders and horrors. I'm Brad, I'll be playing Bayushi Minoru of the Bayushi Death Dealer School. My name is Charlie, and I'll be playing our illusionist, Soshi Yuzume. I'm Evan Strait, and I'll be playing Sakai no Doji Ikkyo, a member of the Doji Bureaucrat School. My name is Sam, and I'll be playing Asahina Hajime, a member of the Kakita Duelist School. Last time on Crimson Gold Agonies, we took some time to catch up on Hirosaka's problems over dinner. We discussed Otomo Kazuko's plans to turn the region into an autonomous administrative zone, free from the control of any one clan, as well as the fate of the Moth and the new arrivals in town who seek to stake their claim to the minor clan. Our conversation drew some unwanted attention, however, so we turned the conversation elsewhere and eventually parted for the night. While Minoru and Hajime discussed important social matters over a game of Go, Eiko looked into what might be motivating Otomo Kazuko's bold proposal, and found enough to confirm his suspicions of her. Meanwhile, I spent the night communing with the spirits of the Moth, learning that one of their children is still alive, and receiving a charcoal cat as my only clue as to where to find her. I can only hope that whatever tomorrow brings, it's a touch more straightforward. So, Yazume, tell us a little about your borrowed office. The office is just a large tent for now, but she's brought a lot of furniture with her. The main focus is a large and sturdy desk that takes up a lot of the width of the room. She's had this brought from her home in Pokao, and it goes with her everywhere on long-term assignments, so she makes sure to take good care of it and to keep it well-polished. There are shelves lining the side walls full of legal books and scrolls that she's copied out by hand over the course of her studies, and in the middle of the room is a low table where she has tea with visitors who don't require legal services. An attendant of the local magistrate, a servant of one of the seven, informs you that Agashitoma and Shosuri Kiyoshi require an audience. They need an emerald officer to neutralize the transfer of business between clans. Yuzume finishes up what she's working on and shoves it in a drawer to be filed away for later, and lets the servant know that they can be sent in. She's ready to see them. Tuma Barjin talking to empty air, either to himself, the spirits, or someone remotely you don't know. He rubs his hands against his extravagantly expensive clothing as he bows and introduces himself to you. Yes, I am Agashituma, and yes, I am that Agashituma. I will be the future lord of the Mot Clan. Behind him is a young man of the Scorpion, spindly and pale wearing tight clothing and an eclipse as a mask. Yuzume offers Toma a very practiced and polite smile. And such a pleasure it is to make your acquaintance, Agasha-san. She looks over at the masked man, and her smile gets a little more genuine. It's always nice to work with someone from the clan, particularly when she sees his mon. And it's wonderful to meet you as well, Shosuro-san. 
how might I help the both of you today? As you examine the paperwork, it immediately becomes clear that the compensation for the clouds over Irosaki Brewery is not remotely close to a fair estimation. As you listen to Shoshuru Kyoshi and Agasha Tuma going back and forth, you realize they are even more reluctant to bargain and haggle than you would expect from Noble this day. Even in its sorry destroyed state, Cloud over Hirosaki is a famous brewery. That alone should be worth much more than what you see in front of you. Oh, well, that's ridiculous. She doesn't want Kyoshi to get scammed by one of the wealthiest men in Rokugan, so as she goes through the document, she makes a point of mentioning any items she thinks should be sold at a much higher value, and tries to negotiate something a little better for him. It seems obvious that he doesn't want to sell, so at the very least she can get him a better price. Is there any way she can tell why they're acting like this? I mean, she doesn't really know a lot about alcohol, but she would think from a business angle that the price wouldn't be quite so low. The thing is that you love drinking the stuff. Not even what makes a good alcohol, or even an appreciation for the process. You know little about it, in fact. But even you can figure out what is wrong here. Nowhere in the prepared documents there is mention of the precious mold required for sake brewing. Tuma is probably assuming that it is included in all the other assets, that Kiyoshi's family has the mold somewhere else, or that it can somehow be cultivated from the debris by an expert mycologist. It seems at first that Tuma is scamming Kiyoshi, it is actually the other way around. The mold makes Claude of Hirosaka sake its unique beverage. Without this, Toma can only produce some random swill. Now the question is, what does Yazumi thinks? And what she believes is her duty here to the scorpion and to the emerald office. Oh, that's easy. Uh, if Toma assumes this famous mold is included and is still trying to swipe the brewery for such a low price, then he's trying to take advantage of Kiyoshi's situation. But Toma hasn't specified exactly what he wants, and when drawing up contracts, it's important to include as many details as possible, no? Surely THE Agasha Toma knows this, or he wouldn't have become as successful as he is. So Yuzume is going to assume, since he is so much better at business than she is, that he's requested everything he actually wants, and that to ask about the starter would insult his intelligence. You know, perhaps he has his own sake brews waiting in the wings. So she'll say nothing on this matter as she draws up the final contract, and if it happens to benefit her clanmate, then that's just a nice coincidence. The ink is barely dry when Tuma gives a quick farewell and leaves, already talking into the air. Shashuri Kiyoshi seems to drag his feet, as if he would want to have a word in private with you. When she's reasonably certain that the coast is clear, Yuzume offers Kiyoshi a seat at her tea table, and pushes herself out from around her desk to join him. Shosuro Kiyoshi, now that's a familiar name. You wouldn't happen to be related to Shosuro Anago, would you? I think he may be a distant cousin of mine. It's a lie, but she's aware they're in a tent and that there's always a chance someone might get suspicious as to why he's hanging back. So, once she's out of her wheelchair and they're both sitting down with some tea, 
she'll ask a little more quietly. What can I do for my friends in the Shosuro? My family lost everything during the Great Hail, and the leadership decided that we must serve the clan in another way, Kyoshi explains. I am to put an end to a criminal syndicate that has been a rogue element in the side of the Scorpion. We know that they will be making a move and infiltrate Hirosaka. This sale was essential to give me justification to be in town and to provide the funds for my operations. Kyoshi hesitates a bit before continuing. You can see that he's reluctant. How do you earn his trust? Service to the clan is of course important, Shosuro-san, and I am glad that your assignment aligns so well with my own duty to see Hirosaka rebuilt and restored to safety. If there's anything I can do to assist you, then I am at your disposal. I have been asked to contact you, and I have possible the Emerald Magistrate. The syndicate in question answers to one individual, known only as Tamiko. We suspect they have agents across different clan territories and alongside major coastal towns. But we don't have enough evidence to suggest an imperial case be open. If I was to raise my suspicions, this would be seen as a local danger, and Seppuni Shima would be handling it. If you get involved, any action on your part against Tamiku will be risky, and possibly involve breaking the law and the Emerald Sharp. The more you know, the more you will be compromised. I understand your concerns, Shosuro-san. However, if your suspicions about Tamako's network are correct, then I may be able to use any information you give me to keep my eyes peeled for potential leads. If I know where to look or what to look for, then perhaps I may be able to find the evidence you need to involve the Emerald Office in a more official capacity. We don't know who Tameku is, other than they have hidden their operations from us and seem able to operate beyond clan borders, which means they must have cover that assures legal travel, Yoshi explains. The core of their operations is the River of Gold. There has been a criminal boss named Tameku for quite a few generations. Their behavior and operations seem to have changed drastically over the last three years, which suggests to me that someone else has taken the mantle. The Mod Clan was aware of Tamiku's plans and has done a good job in keeping them or any other organized crime boss away from Hirosaka. It took a lot of sacrifice, but the Scorpions have figured out some elements about Tamiku's assets. Kyoshi raises one hand, opens the palm, and lowers a finger one by one. First, they have three pirate crews loyal to them. Second, they are rumored to have a skilled cadre of assassins. Third, they have at least one or more lords compromised and blackmailed or somehow persuaded to do their bidding. Fourth, they were capable of eliminating the two previous Scorpion agents sent against them. Fifth, we believe that three ruling Imperials will be targeted by Tamiko. 
using a blinks a little because this is a much larger criminal operation than she was expecting for somewhere as out of the way as Hirosaka. And she would probably curse if she knew Kiyoshi well enough to think she could get away with it. But instead she smiles at him politely and nods her head. Thank you for trusting me with this information, Shosuro-san. I'm happy to know that the clan has sent someone to look into such a matter, and I'll provide you as much assistance as I am able over the course of your investigation. So, Minoru, where are you three going for lunch? Well, I honestly have no idea, but Minoru does know that he misses time with Zurich and that while Yuzume might be busy with important paperwork, what the rest are doing can wait. If there is one person who knows where good food can be found, though, that's in Hajime's capable hands. Yeah, I think that what's likely is that there's a noodle shop in town that got hit pretty hard by the flood, and so the owner has temporarily set up kind of a stall outside where her shop is being rebuilt. They have... Uh, a really good cold noodle salad made with lots of local veggies and soy sauce, sesame oil, vinegar, that kind of thing. It's very nice and filling, but still light enough to be pleasant on a warm day. Uh, and that's where we go, I think. As sawdust and sweat mixes with the warm air, with the sun on its zenith, it becomes clear that it's impossible to keep working. People take this opportunity to take a break, and you can see them napping, socializing, having a light meal, or carving intricate dolls. It seems there is a local festival around dolls approaching, and people are doing their best to prepare for it. How does this festival seem familiar to the one in your family lands, Aiko? The festivals in Skylands always bring a bright display of colors, bringing vibrant displays of life and creativity to the streets, and it seems here in Hirosaka they utilize streamers and ribbons as displays for their festivals, and watching the strips of colors flap in the wind takes Psycho home for just a moment. Most of them seem to be depicting workers and villagers as they perform bucolic tasks or recreate scenes of private life. Which doll captures your attention, Ajime, by its craftsmanship or subject team? Uh, most of the dolls are... Interesting to look at, but the one that captures my eye specifically is a young boy. He looks innocuous enough, but there's something in the way that his eyes are painted that looks more intense and a little bit wild. And the look reminds me of Yoshi, uh, the little boy that we met during the flood. You hear shouting and the complaining of oxen coming from the nearest western gate. A second samurai approaches the magistrate station balancing his helmet as he tries to run between the construction sites. Hajime looks at the other two and then starts moving quickly towards the commotion. You witness a dozen of unruly fur fighters, the ones serving Ishima's gatekeepers huddled, be huddled between a, car a small caravan and the gate. The merchants struggle with the overburdened oxen and yell different papers as weapons, trying in desperate to explain themselves as they are bombarded with insults. Go away, we don't want any of that filth here. Don't make me crack or your bones. More and more firefighters approach. The two protectors of the shipment, running with odd heraldry, have their backs against each other, circling around, their swords drawn as the firefighters surround them. 
Well, Minoru is going to look around and take a deep breath and say, Enough. I understand it is hot and miserable work. And that, and that alone excuses your bad manners. These men are samurai. You will let them pass. We're here from us. As he says that, uh, Hajime is going to step forward, uh, kind of relying on his height and size to be as intimidating as possible, trying to clear that path. Uh, his hand is on his sword. His expression is locked into this intense scowl, all of that. Most of the firefighters seem to lose their will to fight and depart. Two of them drag their feet, and Minoru, you notice one of them reaching for a knife, turning just in time to throw it at one of the ronin. Minoru is quick to draw his sword and knock the knife out of the air, and then gesture at the other fireman, giving a simple command. Seize him! And then, as a whole, we move up to see what this fracas was about. Yeah, I step forward, and as I do so, I say, if you move a muscle, I will remove your head. People finally clear. The running greet you. We thank you on the behalf of the guard's rat. My name is Nanashi, and my companion is Nat- Matsuyo. The other man nods. When merchants approach, still clutching the papers, we came from Split Rock Village. We have permission to be here. We are doing this on behalf of the mod and their servants. This is the expected shipment of opium. Aiko leans into Minoru to softly mutter, Did he say opium? As Aiko unfurls his fan and begins lightly fluttering it in place. Seppuneshima arrives, wearing armor and the badge of office. I see you have already been informed by Yoshisama. Well, there's not much I can do. This substance is under the purview of your office. What do you suggest we do with it? My professional recommendation is that we take it to the Kumun outside and have it all burned. Minoru lets Ishima's other doshin take possession of the fireman, then looks at this wagon load of opium. Ishima-sama, I think that may be a little too hasty. We all know how the great hail has hurt Ryoko Owari, and as much as this opium will be a problem now, its use as the only available painkiller during summer for the coming years should not be forgotten. I am very sorry to ask Ishima-sama, but is it possible for us to set a guard on it? Especially if we put it in an old warehouse that's not being used currently. Ishima nods at your decision. I don't have enough people to guard it. We'll have to close all but two of the gates. Traffic will be a mess for a few days, but on those precious moments, you will be able to recruit more people or, well, to deal with this question or to deal with the open question once and for all. Are there any potential sources of muscle that could be used to provide additional security? Ishime thinks for a moment as you ask where she can get more people. The mod had other two firefighter gangs. I don't recommend them. Ishime seems pensive. The Green Pebble Labor Gang is too obstinate and has no sense of propriety or their place in the social order. They are a mixture of neighboring militia and the unruly yacht and old carpenters outside town. Their expertise seem to be emergency demolitions and debris clearance. 
but they refused to work for servants of the blessing or the imperials for some nonsensical reason that they don't explain. As for the other group, the ghost wheels, I would punish all of them if I had the opportunity. The moth made the baffling decision of making a firefighter gang of pirates and bandits. <laughs> and you know what they did? They trained them in researching conflagrations and arson. I'm sure they have fallen back to criminal activities. In fact, some of my men report that they have been seen with an infamous pirate group. I think they call them the Black Cats. It's a good thing that I decided not to work with them. There's no way that they will not bring disgrace to the name of the Imperial families. Aiko, write that down for later. Bayushi-sama, I do not see what we can accomplish here other than wait for these men to arrive. Perhaps it would be best to relocate ourselves to the courthouse and gather additional information to better educate ourselves. As you enter the courthouse alongside Ishima, you find an irate Maya Shora. Servants debrief him and point to a map of the holdings of the Mott clan. Emerald Magistrate, I rely on you to handle this bad news. What is this nonsense about Split Rock Village? How come I end up in the possession of an entire holding dedicated to opium trade? This is unacceptable. This is unbecoming for a member of the Imperial families. This will be a stain into my reputation. If I was not merely a temporary steward, I will burn all the crops and all the peasants to make an honest living with another proper way of subsistence. This is outrage. Beijisama, as the Emerald Officer here, it is your task to see that the transport, traffic and transformation of this opium is all done by the proper legal channels. That this bounty of the moth find its proper destination. The honor of the Mir is in your hands. I don't want to be involved in any of this. It's your call to make, Emerald Magistrate. The governor bows and storms out, leaving the fate of Split Rock Village in your hands. Minoru looks at his assembled Yuriki. Well, my honorable companions, it looks like we will have to travel to Split Rock Village before too long. We, of course, need to visit the Crab and Miyamakake at some point to address the Iron Turtle ships they've docked in Hirosaka. Visiting Split Rock Village on our trip south would nicely fit into that timetable. We meet at the party the next day is after the confusion at the gates, they are put under the stressful position of having to decide both what to do immediately with this opium shipment and long-term to decide the fate of this former holding of the Mod Clan, uh, Split Rock Village, which under Imperial law was allowed to grow a uh, remarkable amount of opium and other uh, rare, highly regulated substances. Their original destination, the Crab territory neighboring the region of Irosaki, uh, 
has been interrupted by a detour to visit this village. There is a lingering chaos that you leave behind uh, as word is spreading around of the shipment presence in Irosaka. And it's only a question of time until more people figure out that it's being stored in some of the empty silos of the granary. It will probably be discovered quite soon as uh, it becomes quite apparent by the number of guards that have been assigned there. Seppunishima has closed two of the gates of Hirosaka, assigning the guards stationed there uh, to the granary, just enough time to handle the opium issue or to secure additional uh, firefighters or other mercenary forces to bolster the the security of the town. Uh, this is not something that she did lightly. Uh, she needed to be persuaded of the immediate necessity of this and that uh, limiting the ever busy traffic of goods and workers in and out of Hirosaka was the was well worth uh, the sacrifice. Uh, how did Yuzume convince uh, Seppunishima uh, of this need? So Ishima's made it, she's already given us a, uh, a gesture of goodwill. So I think that Yuzume has tried to frame this as us showing her a gesture of goodwill. So I think she would have spent a lot of time trying to really like tell Ishima, you know, we need somebody that we can trust, you know, and that uh, we know how competent she is and how serious she is about caring for Hirasaka. And we really need her help if this is going to succeed. Just trying to make it about her. Ishima was pretty uh, happy uh, with uh, you approaching this and as you departed this morning, you found uh, four fresh uh, ponies that uh, were actually uh, equipped with the barding that signaling them as belonging to the Sepun family, uh, as well as packed with uh, enough supplies for uh, three days on the road, way more than you should need under any conditions. And you can could see that uh, she was pretty eager to take this opportunity to be involved in the resolution of this. As you depart to Split Rock Village, it's a very short journey. It's going to be a longer detour, that's for sure. But uh, in one hour of riding, you make to this uh, to the village, and you can see it's pretty compressed on a, a very small. Uh, elevation, a pretty barren piece of land, and every place around it has been carefully tended. And you can see on the south side, most of it seems to be poppies, while on the northern side, you can see a lot of subsistence gardening, small greenhouses, and uh, of lot of uh, walled gardens, which you figure out they must belong to 
some of the other uh, substances that they are allowed to grow. There is this loud buzzing of insects as you cross the paths towards it. And as you get close into the village, you notice that um, there is a big trench in between the two halves of the village. Both of them seem to be walled off and there seems to be some elevated uh, uh, bridges between uh, uh, each of them, but they don't seem to be places that see a lot of traffic. And beneath those bridges, on what seems to be the center of the cravage, you can see guarded gates to what you presume to be the underground warehouses where the profitable, high-value crop of this village is secured. And there's a bit of weirdness, some oddity, as you contemplate this village. This is not fortified for defense, more for spiritual and religious reasons. And there's a lot of refined charms in different gates and it hits you after walk, walking towards it uh, and dismounting. Well, you don't know in which half of the village are the outcast commoners living in and in which one are living the peasant laborers. Because the closer you get, the more you notice that the wealth of this crop is somewhat evenly shared between the two communities. And all of them, they have houses that they will not look out of place from the mer uh, mercantile quarters of a big city. They seem to be pretty well insulated. The, the craftsmanship seems to be solid, even if not showy. And there is a an extreme aura of cleanliness emanating from both sides of the village. Like there is this well, well-tended equilibrium that managed to support all of its inhabitants, even if this, as you saw during your voyage, is not the most fertile of lands, that the bounties of the opium trade, as limited as it is, is empowering both communities. And you are just going to stumble into this place and you cannot but help but wonder how much the balance will swing by your decisions. Since you cannot find any details on the village proper that uh, tell you, you look at the crops and you figure that, uh, well, it's way more efficient if uh, the crops are layered on the places which actually serve as workplace. And you figure that the south side is probably the untouchable commune uh, part of the village, uh, while on the northern side seems to be more dedicated to uh, artisan crafts and to sub uh, subsistence farmer and more integrated into 
the uh, accepted behaviors on the celestial order and twos they are not the outcast of split rock village and it is expected new as samurai that you would be housed on a specific room in the house of the the peasant community just as they're approaching the town aiko looks it over and references the the towns he's been to before the knowledge of how most societies in Rokugan are laid out and structured and turns to the rest of the party and says my lord minoru-san i advise we approach the northern gate as our entrance into the city if that is your wish seems wise to me aiko-san let's go as you enter and you leave your mount behind. The peasants make way. You can see that they seek refuge into their houses as you approach the biggest one at the center, which seems to be near what you assume to be a, a merchant station, probably uh, for the people that uh, you met on Hirosaka, bringing the opium. And an elderly man comes out of the house and he prostrates yourself. Samurai-sama, I was told by our associates to expect a visit from the Emerald Office. How might I be of service? We are merely here to do a routine inspection. We simply want to check over the production facilities, make sure everything is according to your standing orders. Uh, I would like to see your records, specifically ones involving troops that were garrisoned here, but I'd like to see a general overview. In addition, I'd like to speak to your village priest, your holy man. And I will be the one to speak to on the topic of your supplies and your production. I oversaw the storage of your harvests in the city of Hirosaka, and I am in the process of arranging the necessary paperwork to reformat your supply to a way that benefits this town and the local governess in this great time of need. Uh, the man rises, still head low. Please, uh, Samurai-sama, uh, this house is yours. Please make use of the noble room as I will prepare something to please your mouths and some green tea. You will find all the pertinent documents on the room and you will find that the production has not been affected by the recent travails. As for Garrison, we have not had a garrison here for almost a generation. We are too close to Hirosaka, and there are other villages that served or lieges on the mod with levies. As for priests, we don't have a designated priest. Most of the services here are attended by monks from the Temple of the Fortunes in Iresaka 
or wandering priests, or even for some of the outcast laborers that are allowed special permission to work on temples. That is perfect, then. We, were, we are honored to partake of your hospitality. Minoru is going to walk in. Yuzume-san, Ayako-san, if we can review this paperwork, make sure everything's in order, nothing strange or unusual. Then I suppose we'll do a bit of a tour of this village, figure out exactly how many people will need to garrison here, because I'd rather not have the crab move half an army in here if we can avoid it. And I'd like to investigate the religious charms a touch, because that strikes me as a bit odd. If I might, Yushi-san, there's... I'd have to look at them first, but for them to be storing this much opium and to be very clearly so well off without having any sort of garrison here does make me wonder about what the charms are actually for. And if I could have a word with you privately in a moment... I might be able to enlighten you on another matter that may be relevant shortly. Aiko bows in response to Minoru's orders and says, I concur with Yuzume-san. The storehouses should be visited to ensure their capacity and safety. If you wish, I will put extra scrutiny into preparing and reviewing the legal documentation for your plan. Um, Minero, so you're not able to extrapolate the strategic and tactical place that Split Rock Village fit in the Mod clan domains, but you notice that the Ronin that you met uh, yesterday that were protecting the open caravan, they are not here. And as you go to the room, which, again, is a room that is designed to receive samurai. So it's even wealthier with, uh, than the rest of the village. Uh, you can see a lot of wall scrolls. You can see even some art. There is even a bonsai cherry tree that has been recently trimmed. And not only that, you can see uh, warm ashes. So you realize that uh, the Ronin... They were guests at this place before they were sent to you. And they have not returned after making their delivery. And their absence is noticed by you. I'm going to point that out to the others. Just We may want to ask about after those Ronin who were guarding the opium delivery. They were here fairly recently. So we can make some discreet inquiries. Discretion is our family name, after all. Hajime-san, would you accompany me as we ensure the storehouses are built to last to ensure that the proposal we are preparing goes through? Uh, of course. I go, son, I wouldn't mind doing that at all. There is a look of disappointment on his face. He was looking forward to eating. Walks to leave with Aiko. Hajime-san, we will save you stuff. And I Aiko basically wants to get an idea of how much money and 
quantity and product can be tied up in this trade. You are able to go through the documents and you are surprised at, at how much for a single village in having the rights to produce opium, how much this their production capacity is, especially considering the official imperial analysis of the fertility of this place, the number of the people living here. This is genuinely a place that is able to exceed the expectations by whatever heterodox mess the mot are allowing to happen here. The elder that you met, which you learn on the way to the storage facility, is named Yuku. He goes ahead and you wait there for a while and another elder came in. This seems to not even be looking at you, to not draw any offense. And you learn from Yuku that that's Itao, the elder from the, uh, the villagers' commune on the untouchable southern side of the community. And each of them uh, reveals uh, uh, a key, and by each of them putting them together, they unlock the warehouse. And inside, you see what you already feared from the first analysis of the production. The place is filled to the brim. It is not like it was greed that made them send the merchants to Irosaka. It is that they have these warehouses filled to the brim. This is way more than they can properly store safely. They need to empty this place to get the new production in. And this does not seem to be happening anytime soon unless you change that, unless you find a buyer to this, and even more important, a way for this to be transported to the rest of the empire because all this opium is stuck on a weird village in the middle of nowhere and there are no major roads that can take this and the only way that you could carry it would be through the river of gold that is barely navigable at the best of the time and now has been left in a mess and even if you could you need ships. Now, this is the question. Based on this situation, what do you want to do? Even though it's it's somewhat cold and dry up here in this, this town, Iko pulls out his fan and starts absentmindedly fanning himself, partially to mask the small chinks in his, in his expression that show that he is growing more and more shocked by how much profit is here, but also to, as kind of like an absent way to nervously get rid of some energy through fluttering the fan, he walks around, takes his time to make notes down on a notebook he has to catalog at least an estimate of how much opium is here, and then he turns to Hajime and says, Hajime-san, I have never in my life seen this much opium in one location before, have you? Uh, as a contrast to Aiko's very controlled demeanor, um, up until this point, Hajime, has just, his mouth has just been hanging open. It's like he's, Aiko-san, I have never even conceived of this much opium as a concept. 
the fact that it's all here, this is going to be a great deal of trouble. There's sort of a rigidity that takes over. He becomes just sort of very like straight line. It's almost like he's like straightening up because he expects a fight. There's going to be a fight about this. Iko turns to the the village headman who unlocked the door and says, How long have you held the warrant for producing this priceless crop? Uh, Yuku thinks for a moment. I think pretty much ever since the unicorn re- returned from their wanderings, Samurai Sama. Uh, I think after the the trade of uh, this substance was prohibited, that uh, when the scorpion got uh, permission to oversee its production and the distribution, the mod were able to secure a much smaller scale. I think that's that's basically when uh, our village was first founded. Even I don't think that uh, I don't think that there was anything here before. Some uh, people that uh, were able to secure some uh, lands under the protection of uh, whatever lord claimed these lands at the time. Probably no more than that. So I would say ever since Split Rock Village is a thing and ever since the Unicorn are back. And in the years you have cultivated this crop, has it always been stored here? Or did you have a usual way to unload this product for the benefit of the Empire? From my understanding, everything that is produced here is kept on the care of the Moth Clan. Uh, and from my understanding, of course, you will have to talk with someone that uh, understood the ledgers and the deals of the Mod Clan. Uh, from my understanding, they did not exactly sell it or engage on trade. They provided it as a service, uh, as vassals of the Emperor. Uh, so when it was not held here, it was tightly secured by the by the Mod clan samurai in maybe their main fortress or some other location. We were always responsible to get uh, merchants to transport it to their keep. That is where our role ended. Iko turns back to look at this warehouse overflowing, just full of opium, and he closes his fan to tap it on his chin as his mind is racing internally with calculations, potential applications, potential buyers, different places to unload, the amount of profit to be made here, and he is silent for an uncomfortable amount of time before stating clearly, I serve Bayushi Meru-sama, Emerald Magistrate and Keeper of Imperial Law. As this is grown, under the edict given out under the Son of Heaven, we will find the proper way to continue the distribution and production of this crop. The Moth Clan is recovering from a great devastation, and we will see to it that the seeds they have planted here in your humble village grow into a great harvest. As you're saying that, as you mentioned taxes, your brain clicks and you realize the mod we're providing is as a service. And 
when you think about the difference between the value on the market of all the opium that they basically provided the empire through the imperial channels and the imperial legions and the, uh, the emperor's blessing and all other institutions, when you compare that to the taxes that they were legally based on the fertility of their lands required to pay to the imperial bureaucracy, you realize that this is an insumable amount of wealth. That if the mort were capitalizing on this, they could be as rich as the mantis. And you realize that there is this discrepancy and you could get enough money from scheming on this that everyone will get their taxes. The open will still be produced and distributed, but you know, it will be less of a service and it will be more like the way that the scorpion do it. And it will still be bountiful and nobody will notice that, uh, uh, that a lot of it is making the way to the Sakai. So how does Eiku feel when he realizes that that is a possibility, that he would get away with it and nobody will expect, because nobody would expect his wealth to be here in the first place? Eiko was silent for such a long time because he was processing precisely that. Weighing potential shipping costs, the prices to secure proper escort and fortification, sending up the legal documents for distribution, and the taxes. Oh, the taxes. Iko, I think for the first time, acts in like a decisive way instead of his very smooth, calm grace, and he turns on his heel to walk out of the warehouse back to where Minoru is at after giving his speech about the future growth of Split Rock Village. So we get to the other investigation. So you are going around the walls, I guess inside and outside on the peasant laborers part of the village, on the outside, on the untouchable part. Uh, and how are you trying to study them? So I'll look at, I guess, some of the the charms just to see if they have any there are probably very common you know phrases that get put on charms i would imagine that reference sort of what they're there for you know uh, are they there for wealth protection health that sort of thing so I'll just look through all of those charms and the carvings just to see what's there yeah most of it seems to be normal some of them are pretty old you can see what uh, you comment uh, when he described work by the members of the southern side of the community. Most of it has been maintenance uh, other than anything else. Uh, and some of the oldest charms, they, they really are old and pretty worn out. And by studying their talisman, you recognize this, this is typical Mott clan work. And as a scorpion, you can appreciate, appreciate a good word and these are good words. They seem to be mostly uh, 
responsible for keeping the purity of this to keeping the spirits appeased and it matches especially considering what happened to the river of gold you get you really notice how much chaos has been under heavens lately as you harmonize with this place it becomes apparent that these people they live in pretty good symbiosis not only with them with with their environment this seems to be a very controlled community that seems to have decided on a balance on their own instead of something imposed by a distant authority even one as distant as one hour ride away and the mod just seemed to have put the the words to facilitate this to keep spiritual intrusions uh, of invading this place I mean, have you ever seen anywhere quite like this, darling? I mean, not at all, dear. Not at all. I suppose it makes some sense that this place has been so untouched, but old as these are, someone must be coming in to restore them, update them, and... (sighs) Is anyone listening to us? Minoru looks around. No one of import. Sometimes it's the unimportant people you need to watch out for. Anyway, listen, we have a complication. There's someone in the area, not one of ours. Some sort of, I don't know if they're a criminal mastermind or if they're a group of people. They're known as Tomiko. They are absolutely likely to target this place if we can't get them under control. And Shosuro Kiyoshi has informed me that he will be looking into this matter for us. I suggest that we help him, but I suggest that while we're here, we also look at ways that we can ensure that that criminal does not strike this place. I agree wholeheartedly. So these are wards, but you think if he was targeting easy marks, this would have been priority number one. That's what confuses me. There's no garrison. As far as I can tell, the wards here protect from spiritual issues. I mean, sure, stealing opium would carry a higher sentence, but if you're already a known bandit, it's an end, it's an end either way. I'm thinking there may, may be some sort of connection with the village. Not to say that Tomiko lives here or has connections to any people here, but there is clearly a reason that they have not emptied out this vault of opium. Well, let's see how much they really have here. Maybe they have. Aiko-san is looking into it, but this place gets more and more curious. More than I would like. I suppose we should head back. Strange. And strange is traditionally not always a good thing. But rather, if it was strange, it were my doing rather than someone else's. She just mumbles to herself as they head off back to find Hajime and Aiko, and she's trying not to, but she's rubbing at her leg because that horse ride was an absolute bitch. Like, riding on a horse, wearing a prosthetic, going that fast, she was not happy. So what are you trying to accomplish here? Well, my big thing was just to have the conversation to pass on the knowledge about Tomiko. I could also do, spend some time communing around where the wards are, maybe. So which type of spirit are you trying to commune with? I mean, I would think that if these are protective charms, that sounds like Earth. You... Return yourself to the environment and 
you notice all sorts of uh, elemental spirits. You notice that uh, there seems to be a more powerful spirit on each of the walls. It seems to be the spirit of the wall itself. And they are pretty powerful and resonant and active as much as an earth spirit can be. And they resonate very closely with the words. As if the wall, uh, the words are more a way to consistently interact with them instead of inviting other spirits to do something. You notice also an unusual type of spirit that you don't immediately recognize, but you are pretty sure that they are not from the realm of mortals, that uh, there are other spirits that wander around the regions that have an extra realm origin. Interesting. You can notice that they are passive. They seem to just be present, especially in, in these circumstances. You cannot sense any stronger uh, human reactions or human-like reactions or emotions or attachments. They just be, seem to be. All right, so she'll, I'll ask the Earth, Kami, uh, what can you tell me about our visitor? The Earth, Kami, stared a bit and described them fleeting material. They barely touch this realm. They seem to like the people here. They tend to hang around them, mostly at night, mostly when the lights fall silent on their constant burning. Do you know if the spirit is a dream? I don't dream. Our kind does not dream. It has been described to us by others like you. They do seem to fit that. They are not anchored to anything present. And they seem to grow weaker as the morning dawn. They seem to fit the description that others have told me about the dream. Thank you, my darlings. That's all I need from you. And as the spirits grow silent. I believe that whatever wards the moth put up, they may actually be strong enough to keep this place protected. Um, we may not need to be as concerned about the thief. We should still look into some sort of physical protection, but whatever it is that's here is... It's looking after people. Izume-san, that is some good news that we could all use today. <laughs> so, Ajime, you were left behind as Aiko basically just stormed out of this place. Uh, what is your reaction to this? behavior of Aiko. He's probably the most flustered that you have seen him ever. It definitely was the most flustered I've ever seen him. And just based on the situation, I know how bad things have suddenly gotten for us. So I definitely immediately turned to the two uh, village headmen and had them lock the granary. And I think Hajime stays there for a little while, sort of assuming a guard demeanor for a bit, but then realizes that he doesn't really know 
if that's what he should be doing in this moment. After about like an hour or so, he probably tries to go back to the house that we were all shown to originally um, just to meet up with everyone else. For some reason, you have this weird gut feeling that uh, this sense of apprehension that you cannot put a finger on and you will never verbalize this about another samurai, especially uh, a member of the head family, that there is this ominous sense that Eiko might be ready to do something that might reflect bad on the crane. How does Ajim react to this disgusting and, and discomforting feeling? He definitely waffles for a little bit about it, I think. He has, up until this point, trusted Aiko, even though Aiko is a bit blunt. Uh, he still considers him a friend. We have Aiko surrounded by documents as the two scorpions rejoin him. Aiko-san. I believe I have discovered something most promising. Aiko's eyes are wider than any of you have seen before, and he is kind of frantically almost, moving between documents, comparing different measurements, looking at the analysis and records of the of Split Rock. How did you find things at the storage place? Our expectations were nowhere close to reality, Minru-san. And if our expectations were nowhere close to reality, Minru-san, and with Cadence says, it's a huge deal. Like, there is so much opium. I don't even think you have seen this much opium before. Minoru's eyes go from happy to kind of sad. He's just... <sighs> I suppose we'll have to go inspect it. You know, the monks of Daikoku, they, uh, they believe that when you receive a sudden windfall, it's a bad sign. It means that the universe has seen that you will need this much and you must use it wisely. And a windfall of opium means that there might be some very interesting times ahead. Aiko's eyes narrow a bit as he picks up on Minoru's words and says, Minoru-san, is there something that you have learned in your investigation with Yuzumi-san? Only that the walls are apparently very mystically strong, which means this place will only need a token defensive force. But... Things are already interesting in Hirosaka. Opium has a tendency to make interesting things more so. What is a bag of gold to us walking on the road might become a bag of gold as we're swimming in a river, and that's a horse of a different color, Aiko-san. Aiko looks at Yuzume quickly to try to get a read off of what Minoru is saying. I don't think he's quite following. He is, his head is so caught up in the current figures and documents that he's been reviewing that he's just a bit out of touch. Um, Yuzume will she'll tip her head at him, uh, look at him a little bit. You know, with, uh, she'll look at Aiko with some curiosity as she tries to figure out you know, what he's thinking as well. And she'll say, I suppose the question is, Doji-san, do we wish to do anything with this bag of gold? Because if we do come to a river and find we cannot swim, then there was no point in us doing anything with it in the first place. Aiko slides a piece of paper he's been working with across the table to both the scorpion 
showing the rudimentary base quickest calculations of potential tax profits that could be pulled from the opium and says like in a low predatory tone bayushi and soshi sons i am aware these are the common dealings of your clan but the amount of profit held in this town could turn hirosaka into the next city of lies and i will say this is the perfect moment for ajima to enter uh he does so and i think immediately sort of stops uh as soon as he sees the two scorpion there already and immediately staring at aiko essentially i think just kind of giving him a look like what have you done Aiko continues, almost not quite noticing that Hajime has walked in. He says, he continues, The Atomo, the Mia, all want ways to restore Hirosaka. There are interested parties already turning eyes to this location. With the wealth here, if we form this right, could establish this place into a peaceful and prosperous connection between all three of the great clans in this area. In addition, it would be a incredible accomplishment under your leadership, Minarusan, to see this benefit turn to both the Empire and this devastated region. Minaru's going to look at the document, look kind of surprised, slide it to Yazume. There is a lot of money to be made. But... We must use it wisely. That is all I am counseling, is that if we are going to choose to try and make this profitable, the City of Lies did not become profitable purely because of opium. It became profitable because of wise leadership. So every step we make, we must consider where we are walking carefully. To gamble with this money, to spend it wrongly, is to turn it into a lead weight around our necks. I believe we will have to make every step from now on very, very wisely and very carefully. Yuzume is just going to snatch that paper and give it a glance. Who are we to be making this decision? As it currently stands, this belongs to the Moth, and the Moth are still very much in charge of this town, let us not forget. You are not wrong, Yuzume-san. However... This was decreed under imperial edict, based off of the current proclamations establishing Miyasora as governor and Bayushi Minoru as acting representative of the imperial office. It falls to us to oversee this duty, as we have been proclaimed by official edict, the overseers of the previous Moth's territory, in this time of devastation. Does that extend to profiting off of the efforts of its people? The people of the Empire exist to bring profit to the Empire. That is how we have existed for thousands of years. As the document lines out, this can be done in ways... The magnitude of wealth here, Yuzume-san, is such that it can benefit the Empire as a whole and the local region in one fell swoop. Perhaps... We should listen to Yuzume's wise counsel and consider it from this angle. It would be wrong for any of us to profit off of this kind of money. It isn't ours. It is what remains of the Moth Clan. And after that, whoever becomes lord of these lands, 
I believe it would be smarter, wiser, and kinder, perhaps to consider ourselves custodians of this kind of wealth. We may use it to improve the city. We may use it to help restore Hirosaka and the surrounding town. But I think to use it, to put it in our own purses would be wrong. Ojime steps forward a little bit, kind of makes himself a little more present in the room and says, this is an excellent point, Minoru-san. It would be very wrong. And it would be, I would say, relatively damaging to our reputations. Uh, and he, his like eyes are just like pointed directly at Aiko as he says that. Aiko's eyes kind of glaze over and cool down a bit from his previous excited expression, and he regains a more rigid posture and says, Of course, I merely provide my advice, but surely we should rely on those with experience dealing with opium, as he looks uh, Minoru and Yuzume in the eyes. Aiko-san, I applaud your plan. I think it is a wise and prudent one. However, we must use this money wisely. This is not our money. This is the money of the Moth Clan and the Lords to follow them. Now, I think that adhering to your plan would be wise so long as we remember our positions. We are custodians of this wealth. We can use it to help the city, to make sure that Hirosaka is not a ruin, and to improve the lots of lives of people there. But for us to become too obsessed with it and to set it up in the way that all we would do it to make the most profit, and who even knows if the Emerald Champion will allow them to continue to grow opium. We don't want to change this province, this region, to be so focused on the growing of opium for money and then have that rug yanked from under them. I would believe that it is wisest to adhere to your plan. It is a good plan, but we must go forward with caution. Iko gives a polite 45-degree angle bow and says, Of course, Minoru-san, I live to serve. Brad can be found on Discord at BZAJ1648 and at Twitter at BZAJDA Barbarian. Charlie can be found on Discord as Reeselian and on Twitter at BowserJ, where you can find links to her L5R blog. Evan can be found on Facebook as Evan Strite or Discord as PushyMushy1871. And I'm a part of another actual play for L5R called Secondhand Strife. You can check us out anywhere podcasts are distributed. Sam can be found on Discord and Reddit as Live From My Basement and on Instagram as at SJSidLogic. Lulu can be found at Deletiel on Twitter and their design work can be found at Populesque Ludum Syndicate on DriveThruRPG and Itchu. This is a Courts Game podcast. You can find more about them at Court Games Pod on Twitter or at their site, courtgamespod.com. Legends of the Five Ring is the intellectual property currently owned by Fantasy Flight Games.